Hi there. Thank you for downloading, listening to, and watching the Lean Into Artcast, the show where a couple of visual storytellers get together and take on various topics that tend to bubble up when one embarks on this endeavor of communicating with images. We think hard about this stuff, so you will too. My name is Jersey Drozd. I am a, I am a cartoonist and a teaching artist, and the other host is... <laughs> hey, I am Rob Stenzinger, and I am a user experience designer, and I like to make video games can't stop myself from doing other things too. I don't know. What can I tell you? What can I say? It sure is fun to make stuff and then think about it in this format. And this is another thing we make. This, this, uh, yeah, here this we podcast. Are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here we are again. And so uh, every week or so we t- pick a, we try to like pick a single topic and just kind of drill down as far as we can on it. Look at what it likes. Look at look at what it looks like to participate and enact this particular topic. So if it's like, oh, we're going to talk about penciling this week, what does it look like when you pencil? Um, we're going to look at uh, mind mapping this week. What does it look like when you mind map? And then the second half of the show, we talk about how we think about that topic. So diving into the demo first, and then the thinking second. So, uh, Rob, do you want to just you want to just dive into this one? Yeah, I think so. I'm, it's. Uh... Yeah, I mean, our our uh, our topic, right? Mm-hmm. Let's let's go for it, right? This is a this is like a Jersey Jersey Joe's home cooking kind of special <laughs> special dish that uh, you can't get anywhere else. This is this is going to be a good one. So yeah, so the, the topic, if you didn't already know from the title, is uh, sound design and lettering in uh, Clip Studio Paint. And the reason this came up recently, uh, rather, like, I think it was literally today, uh, I had this conversation with a few people on Instagram. I posted an Instagram story yesterday. And, uh, you know, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Jersey Drozd. And I have the image up here. I was I was uh, doing the lettering on a page before diving into the penciling. And I shared a little bit of that process. I hid the pencils and I just showed like what the finished lettering looks like when I letter a page. And um, and actually, I, I removed the word balloons. I, this particular image we're looking at is just the sound design. And so some I got I started getting some questions like, okay, what's it like lettering in Clip Studio Paint? Uh, do you do the sound effects first or the balloons first? And at what part, at what stage do you do each of those things? Uh, so I thought, uh, you know, creates, this is an opportunity to create something, uh, that would hopefully potentially be useful for people down the road. If you are thinking about using Clip Studio Paint to do your lettering, or if you already are, here's another way of looking at it. This is by no means an academic, you know, fully developed six week course on it, but this is like sort of a from the hip look at how I approach it and how I think about it. Did that, did I, did I tee that up? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, um, it, this is one of those things that, that comes up from time to time because it's a, it's a huge passion of yours and, and a practice, right? It's not just a, um, you're, you're, you think really, you really in depth and do some serious problem solving and exploration with how you consider the idea of sound as represented visually. And it's, uh, and so it's awesome to hear your thoughts and it's awesome to see how you execute this. And you have a super in-depth workshop that is available at leanintoart.com slash workshops um, called FATAM. Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll, we'll mention this in, yeah. the, in the last uh, ad break of the show, but yes, right th- it, this, but, if this topic is of interest to you, there is a uh, workshop you can download at a price if you're choosing at leanintoart.com slash workshops. And yeah, it's, it's uh, 
half practical, half theoretical, like how I think about designing all the sounds in my comics. Um, okay. Well, Rob, I think it's time for the transition. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> all right. I forgot my juggling balls. Woo. <laughs> See, I was thinking more like uh, those those torches that those guys in Hawaii spin around. Um, uh, that's another level. I'm not. I'm not. Um, uh, I, I don't. I don't toss about sharp objects, nor do I toss about flaming objects. Uh, but probably for the best. Yeah, All right. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so I guess let me try to, now that we're in the topic, uh, let me try to do a screen share so I can actually, um, is that going to do it? Oh, I have to open my window bigger. There we go. Hit share, and there we go, and I'll hide my hangout window. Okay, so let's do 15, 20 minutes on demoing this idea. So what I have open in front of us is Clip Studio Paint, and um, this is the thumbnail from a comic I did a few years ago. And um, anything, one of the new things about Clip Studio Paint that we've talked about in the past is that you can uh, toggle your layers to be non-photo blue with just like a button in the upper right of your layer property window. So I have it toggled for that. And now as you can see on my thumbnail, um, this is my second round thumbnail. We did an episode called Sticky Note Writing where I talk about the first draft thumbnails that I do on Sticky Notes. Second draft, so first draft, I'm just thinking about, you know, like panel shape and size and like general visual rhythms. But this stage, having figured out those rhythms, now I'm thinking about what are the sound elements and what is the exact dialogue and getting a better sense of what the general poses and acting moments are on the characters. So as you can see on this page, the sound designs, there's, there's, there's a draft of them there, right? In panel one, we have this girl jumping into the air and punching the head off of a giant robot spider. And there's this big crackata behind the punch, right? Um... Still there, Rob? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay, cool. I, I, I didn't know if I closed my window because I, all I can see right now is Clip Studio Paint. Um, yeah, no problem. And uh, you can see how, we'll talk more about visual integration in the second half, but you can see how it, like, it overlaps, like the images overlap with the sound design. So it's, it's because, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but like if you've turned everything in a comic into lines, then everything is unreal which means everything is equally real, which means the sounds are both there and not there. They are real in the sense that they are an audible element for the characters in the story, but they're as real as everything you drew on the page. So like that swipe that our hero is doing in panel one may or may not be what it would look like in real life to punch the head off of a giant robot spider, right? But by adding that swoosh, I've given an implication of power and energy and speed and that this is where lines have kind of like a poetic value to them. So I think about this a lot. Like, how are these things interacting with one another, right? Um, hmm. And you, you can see... That, quick question or yes. comment. So one thing that, that um, I got all quiet, because I have... Um, I use Clip Studio Paint both on my Mac and on my iPad. And I was trying the other day to switch a layer into blue lines quickly, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I just watched you do it. Like, here, you, here it is right there in, in, the, in the layer palette and uh and i would tell you i could not find that so the problem was on my ipad is the layer palette was too narrow if you drag on the right side of the layer palette it's wide enough and it shows more of the tools of the mm. oh yeah yeah players. yeah yeah so anyway i wanted to mention that <laughs> yeah there's um, this little 
this little button in the layer palette in the far right of the layer palette mm-hmm. that toggles that on and off to switch it to if blue. If the layer palette's too hidden, that get that or too narrow, that that gets hidden. Um, but so tell me more about this. So there's there's um, you have a you have different design constraints, different expressions of ideas because you've got the word balloons, the sounds, these um, these motion lines, and then the 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 um, the, the subjects, uh, the the drawings of people and objects and stuff all in the same place and time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like like I'm trying to understand more of your thinking about how you i know this is the demo section so this is more mm-hmm. theory stuff but like um and we could save this till then but i'm just trying to understand your thinking about um the jobs of each of those um ways mm-hmm. of expressing e- expressing a, a piece of what's happening right and we'll, yeah and let's let's dog ear some of that for a later conversation in the second half because i am thinking Sounds a good. lot about like visual flow and composition when i'm doing my sound effect placement and when i'm doing my word balloon placement this is what we call and dan mishkin introduced me to this term balloon spotting um figuring out where the balloons should naturally go so as to create a sense of flow through the image right like where are you gonna go mm-hmm. Right and right. and makes it more readable or, or or challenging to read potentially depending on how you depending on what you want right and you know because like right here in this particular sequence we have our older character chastising the younger characters and then she gets interrupted by this balloon and so it overlaps right um, and I wanted it, this balloon to butt into the balloon before so that it felt very immediate like here is this character talking. She gets interrupted, and then there's this soundless pause panel where as this line Yarly is being spoken, as we get to the end of it, now we're here, and we're seeing the reactions as to them looking over their shoulders. What are they witnessing uh, upon this character being called, right? Um, so I'm thinking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about, thinking about visual pacing. I'm thinking about composition. I'm thinking about you know dialogue choice. How do I get the? For instance, this line here, this when this guy says "weenie," that got changed in the final one. I think here's the final. I changed it to "dork." You know. Oh, and I can show you what the final image looked like. Whoa! So there we have the fully integrated and designed lettering, uh, balloons, and text. So, how about I quickly go through how I do the word balloons and then how I do the um, sound sound effects and sound elements how does that sound that sounds awesome okay cool (laughs) sound a lot but yeah (laughs) so the first thing i so i was asked do i do the balloons first or the sound effects first the truth is i do them at exactly the same time um it's it's back and forth as i'm doing the final thumbnail um when i did the the sticky note version of this panel one i probably just did the the punch pose and i just knew i was going to have a sound effect behind it or if i didn't maybe i figured that out when i finally got to doing the final thumb but um it's at this stage that I do both the word balloons, the final word balloon placement, final dialogue, and sound design all happen at this stage. And that's why this is, in my opinion, the most mentally taxing part of the job. And it's the part of the job that I love the most and I dread the most. Um, so having... Quick question fin- or comment. Yeah. It looks like you, um, this is a scan of, of something that you, you drew on paper. That is correct. To get to this stage. I do all my thumbnails on paper. I start. I do it on sticky notes, and then I take an, uh, a letter size sheet of paper, fold it in half for as many pages as I need to do this particular book. I make like a signature of the book, and then uh, I use my 
you know, long arm stapler, staple it together. And once it's, I'm done thumbnailing, I scan all the pages and then I put them in a folder called thumbnails and then I import them into Clip Studio Paint. Um, so once I got this in here, I figured out my dialogue, so now I can just start typing it. And then in the uh, bottom of your toolbar, um, the bottom, like the second to last tool, it will be either a word balloon, which will be the, you know, the text balloon, or it'll be a letter A for text, or it might even be like one of the balloon tails. They nest a lot of tools in Clip Studio Paint, which is awesome because it gets stuff out of your way, but it also makes it hard to find stuff sometimes. So I'm going to grab my text tool, and I'm just going to tap on the screen or click on the screen, and I'm just going to go ahead and type this line of dialogue. So don't tell me that was not quite almost ever so nearly not bad. Okay, um, and when I'm penciling in the dialogue, I am trying to think about getting the the words to conform to a balloon shape, um, but I will change it once I start making the balloon. So um, now I got my type text. I'm going to hit the little circle icon underneath that to indicate that, yes, I'm done typing. I'm going to place it roughly where the dialogue is going to rest. And now we have different balloon tools here that we can use. Now they have the ellipse tool, which just makes like a standard ellipse and you can set the settings in the tool property win uh, window underneath where you select the different balloons. You can choose what kind of fill color, what kind of line color, um, what the figure is, what's the thickness of the um, the balloon stroke. So you can make it thicker right, or thinner. Um, and you can even change the, the fill color, the, the stroke color after the fact if you want. Um, and this is a vector, which is neat, because that means you can also change the Bezier points on the balloon if you want to give it a different shape. If you want to get really nit into nitty-gritty, you go into the very last tool on your toolbar, where there's a bunch of d different tools nested from, like, control point, pinch vector line, but also redraw vector line. So I could, having drawn this, now just go through and, with my pen, draw over top of the balloon line, and it'll just conform to what I'm doing with my pen. So you can do like jagged balloons, bursty balloons, and so on. Um, I'm just going to undo a couple times, and I'm actually going to get rid of that ellipse. Because the other, the one I use the most, the balloon I use the most, is the curve balloon tool, which this is drawing with Bezier points where I click and drag. Oh, let me, I did that wrong. Let me start over again. I'm going to click and drag, click and drag. I'm going to do this one more time to describe better what I'm doing. Um, so I'm starting in the left, the left middle, or like the center left of the where the word balloon should be drawn, and I'm gonna click and I'm gonna drag straight down, just like uh, maybe just past the bottom line of the text. Now I'm gonna go to the very center bottom of the balloon. And I'm gonna click and drag to the right. I don't know if you can see that line, that's, that curve that's being mm -hmm. made right now. I think and so. then, yeah. Now I'm gonna go to the far right of where the balloon should be drawn. I'm gonna click and drag up. And it's building a curve as I do this. I'm going to go to the top and click and drag to the left just a little bit. And finally, I go to where I started the line and I click once to complete the balloon. Now I have a balloon that has four points on it that have different Bezier curve handles that I can adjust easily and move the points. And I can get this balloon to look, for me, I like it to look a little bit irregular, gives it more of a hand-drawn look, even though it still doesn't look as good, you know, it doesn't look quite as analog as real analog. But... It is a little bit of irregularity means that a person touched this, right? 
It's not a perfect uh, a perfect ellipse. And it does that, it does have a like a harmonizing effect with the rest of your your drawing aesthetic because if you do if, I mean one option it would be like just using a, a perfect rectangle or a perfect uh, a rectangle with rounded corners mm-hmm. which some comics do but that has um that has an effect on on like these letters don't necessarily integrate aesthetically as much with the um the art mhm um, so yeah, you seem to to have this balance of clean mixed with um, expressive. Oh, that's, I, that, that's, I think that's a fair way of describing it. Yeah. Um, and so once I've got this drawn, or once once you get your balloon actually drawn, a neat thing that Clip Studio Paint does that it, for better or worse. I mean, for if you're doing print on demand, if you're doing your own. Um, you know, home printed comics, this is perfect. But if you start working for a publisher, I found out with Rockets, you can't submit your lettering this way. We had to use Adobe Illustrator because of the way that they did their offset printing. But if you look in the layer palette, the text layer that says, don't tell me that was not quite almost ever so nearly not bad, it the layer is named that text, but it has this little icon next to it with it has the little uh, balloons and a little cube indicating that you can now modify this with this tool here called the operation tool. And it automatically links the text to the balloon, but I can move the text out of the balloon if I want. With the operation tool, I can move the text around, get it as centered as I want inside the balloon, but then I can also click on the balloon and move them both around as a unit. And if I change the shape of the balloon, it keeps the relative position of the text in that balloon. So oh, that's so powerful. That is such a clip studio paint thing. Yeah. It really makes your, your word balloon management, um, a, a lot easier overall. Um, I compared to working in illustrator and Photoshop and having to switch back and forth. Maybe that's changed. I haven't used the new creative cloud stuff. So maybe they've like changed it a little bit, but it made, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of management a little bit easier, but from not really, Oh, okay. <laughs> so once I've got the balloon drawn, now it's time to go back to my word balloon submenus. And in here, there's balloon tail. And when you click on balloon tail uh, in the tool property menu underneath, you have a couple different options. You could do a straight line tail where you just click and drag to make a tail on the balloon. You can do a polyline, which is if you want to do like a radio voice kind of thing, you click point, point, point and make jagged. Uh, balloon tails or you have a spline which this one I click once I click once I click once and I start to make a curve and then double click to finish and I can make a curved tail and just like the text just like the balloon you can click on the tail as a separate object and you can change its shape and size move it around you can change the points on it so you do like a swervy balloon like if she's talking like a ghost right mm-hmm. so it's very very editable and you can just hit delete to get rid of that tail if you don't like it, and then you can just make a new tail. And I'll follow what I originally did. Tighten that tail up. Now, something that I was talking with Greg Shegel recently about balloon design, and one thing that he reminded me of that I don't think I ever talk about in my classes, and I really should make more noise about this, is that it's generally speaking, like aesthetically pleasing, generally. Not everybody does this, but generally speaking, like the classic comics, the tail tended to emanate from what looks like the center of the balloon. So like when you, if you finish the arc of that tail, it should, it should end in the center of the balloon and the other end of the tail should generally speaking 
point towards the character's mouth. So it doesn't have to get that close to the character. That's but just, so interesting. And in both cases, by having that, that design choice, that's kind of using the Gestalt principle of closure, I would say, right? Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, I mean, you're, you're essentially, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know, you're, you're combining the, the, um, the, I don't know, the, the beginning and the output, the result. Uh, mm-hmm. Huh. And, and like, it's less, so theoretically that would be maybe a more knowable pattern because that's just a convention that a lot of um, art that is um, very re- refined according to a structured set of rules, easier to consume and all that. Huh. And Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Wow. So that, that's, that's, you know, the first thing I do on the page is do all of these word balloons. So I will go ahead and place them all and then, you know, go on and do the next one and the next one until all of the word balloons are done. And then from there... I'll start to do my sound um, effects. And let's just do this crack it up top real quick. Um, so for that, I'll actually avail myself of layer folders because I'm going to use a lot of layer. Well, I'm going to use at least three layers for some of these sound effects. So I'm going to go, um, I'd make a first folder called SFX and I make a subfolder in there called crack it and I'm going to drop that into the sound effects folder. And now I'm going to make some layers. Now with this particular one, it has an outline to it. I'm going to do an outline with a fill inside of it and maybe do another outline outside of it. So um, to expedite this and to make this go as quickly as, as I can, I'm going to start with a vector layer. We've talked about vector layers before on the Linotart cast. It has special properties that are really fun to use in that I'm actually going to draw in ink, but it's going to be vector lines, but I'm hand drawing it. And I'll just go in and I'll just start to trace out the K. And notice that I'm overlapping all my lines because the neat thing about vector layers is I can go to my vector eraser in the eraser submenu and just drag over top of the where the intersections happen and it just deletes the points of intersection or to the point of intersection so that now I've got a nice clean K without the overlap. And also the reason I also use a vector uh, layer is because I could also go back down to that last tool on the menu where there's all those different subtools that uh, affect... Um, vector lines like I can correct the line width I can redraw the vector line width so if I want to change the width on that K I just Gosh. drag my pen right over top of that and just use a little Wouldn't bit of pressure you say the vector drawing plus the vector the vector vector drawing and vector erasing is the shut up and take my money feature for clip studio paint it was for me like I remember it was Stephen McCraney showed me this and once I saw this I was like yep I'm, I, pff, I'm buying it today then I went home and I bought it <laughs> yeah. so so, oh, and I got to name this layer. I'm going to call this one Crack to Outline 1. Okay, so then I'm going to go through and, 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 I mean, because of that vector, uh, vector layer, I can just work really fast and not have to worry about those overlaps and not even... So much more energy in the lines because of that. Speed, too. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of, like, how Krishna Sadasavam's lines look. They just, like, look so energized right there's just so much force behind them and i and because i can change the width i don't even have to really focus uh, that much at this point on getting the width right because i can change that afterwards now i'm just worried about Gosh, getting the I shape i know about that one too like i the, you you pointed out something i did not know as far as the the uh, the vector drawing so you, so not only can you put tons of energy 
uh, have lines intersect, which lets you erase them easily. And then you can go, you can fix the weight because that's something that can take a little fiddling, right? Yep. Yep. If you have the, if you have good enough positioning and good enough, like energy or feel, um, the rest is easily adjusted. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it lets me focus on what's important right now and that's getting the letter shape right and getting the energy right. And, you know, it's like, I, I keep coming back to this idea of like this chunking thing is like, can you reduce your amount of concerns to as few as possible for the immediate job? Right. And then come back and fix it later if you need to. Um, I, I, I find that very attractive and it, it, it lets me, uh, you know, keep the cognitive load low when I'm doing this kind of stuff. All right, so I'm almost done drawing the Krakata. And notice I'm drawing the whole word, even though it's going to get covered up. That's fine, because I may wind up changing its position later. Um, so last ATA. I'm going to do kind of a sloppy job of it here, because I want to make sure that I don't eat up too much time with the demo. Oh, this is awesome. So... Um, what else, what can I comment on as far as the audio, uh, <laughs> besides being essentially a, uh, a cheerful hype person for, uh, well, both your, your lettering approach and then the darn tool, uh, clip studio paint, which, you know, they're not a sponsor. No, they're not. About and them being a sponsor, but well, and I also want to say about uh, clip studio, paint, I love this application. I've been using it for all my graphic novel work for like five years now. And I, I've been talking about it a lot over the years. Although I do want to say out loud that their model they employed for the iPad release makes me nervous. Like the fact that if you want it on the iPad Pro, you have to pay a $10 monthly fee. And I'm just, it makes me nervous that they're going to do that with the desktop version. And I would pay it because I use it every day, but it's just, it would make me very sad to have to pay a monthly fee for my software. Um, I think there would be a way to essentially um, patch and care for your hardware mm -hmm. to maintain compatibility with um, you know a version of it because I mean that's something I've I've noticed recently if um, you know some folks I know will um, like to use an old printer they'll keep a, an even like a virtual machine around or, or a physical machine where it's like yeah that's that machine's job is, is mm -hmm. it lets me use my old printer yeah uh, yeah because there's there's so much forced obsolescence and uh, I think some of it we don't have to um, be stuck with yeah, I actually have an old copy of CSP that is uh, saved in, for that eventuality. <laughs> um, okay, so once I've got the letters drawn, now the next step is I'm going to make another layer underneath it called Krakata Fill. Krakata Fill, there we go. And then I'm going to go back to my... Um, vector layer and I don't know if you remember this trick I'm gonna turn this into a reference layer and what that does it's this little lighthouse icon at the top of the um, layer palette and what it does is it now says that like certain tools when set to interact with the reference layer are going to inter they're gonna do stuff on the layer you have selected but they're gonna act like the stuff on the reference layer is on that layer so it's kinda of like how in metabank paint and fire alpaca you can set the bucket to interact with all layers, now you're being very selective about which layer it interacts with. So it's only going to interact with the Krakata outline layer and the layer I'm currently on, which is Krakata fill. And so I'm going to go to my paint bucket tool. 
and I'm going to choose, there's a bunch of different paint buckets nested in here. I'm going to choose the one that says refer other layers. I'm going to set it to refer to the reference layer. I'm going to set it to area scaling to one and turn on, turn on follow adjacent pixel so it doesn't just fill everything that's that color. And I'm going to change my color to white. I'm just going to drop in with the paint bucket into this. Actually, let me just do a color because it'll be easier to see. Yeah, good idea. So let's just do red. And I'm just going to tap inside of each of these letters, and it fills. And because I also had this set to, there's another option in here. Um, where is it? Close gap? Not close gap. It's um, anti-aliasing ink. Where is it? There's an option to, um, oh, oh. They changed the, the, the wording on this with this update. Fill up to vector path, which means that it is, when I, let me go to this these lines. When I hover over these vector lines, let me go to one that's not red, you can see that because it's vector, um, I can move these Bezier points on these lines that are hand-drawn. So you can be like really fussy with it if you want. But what that also means is the vector line's in the dead center of your ink line. And so when I take that paint bucket tool and click on it, because it said fill to the center line of vector, it's giving me a perfect fill underneath these. So it's filled, it's like the, the fill extends out to halfway through the line like you'd want it to. Okay, now let's do the outline. So now I've got this part done. Now I'm going to make one more layer, and I'm going to call this one Krakata Outline 2. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to control click or command click, depending on which system you're using on, on crack at a fill on the layer, little layer preview, which makes a selection out of everything that's on that layer. And then I'm going to shift control click on the crack at outline one layer. And so now I've made a selection of both the outline and the fill, right? Mm -hmm. And when you make a selection in Clip Studio Paint, you get this little menu that drops in underneath your selection. And there's a lot of different options here. You can deselect. You, you can invert the selection, but this is the one we want, is expand selected area. I'm going to click that, tell it to expand by, let's say, yeah, six pixels is fine. Hit OK. And now we can see the marching ants have made a wider path around the lettering. And I'm going to choose a different color. Let's choose an orange. And I'm going to go, making sure I'm on crack it outline too. I'm going to hit fill. And now we've got an outline, a fill, and another outline on top of that. Now let's, let's change the colors really quick. So now that I've got these fills done, I'm gonna go ahead and lock transparent pixels, which is another option in the menu, uh, the layer menu, and the, in the middle, middle right. It's a little lock icon with a checkered box next to it. And what that does is, as we know, you know, when you lock transparent pixels, that means you can't draw on that layer except in areas where there's already color. So I'm gonna choose like a bright orange Grab my gradient tool, and I'm going to set a click and drag right in the middle of that, and I'm going to put a little bit of a gradient in there. Or actually, you know, I'm going to think about where is the high point of the sound? Krakata, Krakata, Krakata. It's in that first A. That's where the accent is. And so I'm going to actually put the gradient there, okay? And then I'm going to go to gradient outline two, get a nice bright yellow, do the same thing there. And then I'm going to go to crack it outline one. Now, on a vector layer, you cannot change the color of the ink as easily. So I'm going to make a clipping path or a clipping layer above that, make a new layer, call this one Krakata. This is why I'm using folders, by the way. Outline one or outline holds for color holds. 
And for that, I'm going to go to like a nice dark red and I'm going to turn this layer into a clipping layer, which is that little hamburger icon right next to the lighthouse. And what that does is it puts a little red line next to that layer that says this layer will now only interact with stuff that's immediately below it. So when I hit the paint bucket tool up at the top of menu here, it automatically fills that line with all, if I turn off the clipping layer, it's, I just filled everything with the dark red. When I turn on the clipping layer, it just only has that red interact with the black lines underneath it. And I could even, do, really cool. wow. I could even do a gradient on that if I want. And really, you know, sell the impact of it. Um, but because I have transparent pixels locked on these, I could also go in with, say, like a watercolor brush. I can grab a neat watercolor brush and choose, like, a dark orange of some sort and just scrub around to create some texture on this. I don't know if that's even showing up. Or, even better, I could do this. I can go into, I have a folder of brushes and textures. I'm going to open that up. I'm going to grab like, let's grab like, I have uh, some watercolor paper. I'm going to mm. copy that, uh, Commander Control C, go back to this, go above uh, my crack at a folder, I'm going to paste it. There's my watercolor. Turn that into a clipping layer. Oh, actually, I have to do that over the fill. And so that's now a clipping layer. So if I move that, watercolor around you'll only see it where there's already stuff right transform it mm -hmm. grow it a little bit and then and i'm going to set this layers mode with the layer mode uh button at the top of the layer palette to overlay and if we look closely it's kind of hard to see let me turn it to multiply it darkens it a bit but now you can see that it adds like a little bit of a texture i can turn the transparency up or down to have it interact. Yeah, the color's not flat anymore. It's, it's not flat color. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's like a paper texture. And then one might say, so I can close my, you know, toggle my folder closed, and it wants to say, well, how are you going to visually integrate this so that the characters overlap? Well, now at the bottom right of the layer palette, you have this little, it's sort of like a rectangle with a circle in the middle of it, and it says create layer mask. I'm going to tap that, and now next to the folder, icon in the layer palette we get this big white box that that indicates this is now a, a mask that you can interact with with your pens so i'm going to go in with my paintbrush or my eraser actually eraser and i'm going to start erasing the places where it overlaps with the art now normally i would wait until i've got the inking done to do this but i'm just showing you this to see show you how it works and I'm not actually erasing the art at all because if I turn off, if I turn off the mask, that art is still there. I'm just hiding it, right? And so, and I'm just editing the mask, making sure that I've got that white box selected in the layer palette. I'm interacting with it with my pen and uh, eraser tools to, to put it behind the artwork like I originally had in the thumbnails right oops there we go and then we have the sound fully integrated into the art as it were so any thoughts questions wonderings uh anybody saying anything in the chat about this uh just just a little thought from uh, shadowing tronics that uh, it's a commenting that uh this is 
this approach uh, is um, Clip Studio Paint and the vector vector lines and all that stuff. It's, it's a really helpful tool for coloring in general. And, yeah, it uh, is. Yeah, speeds up flatting, that kind of thing. It's, I mean, it's a specialist tool, right? It's, it has general capabilities. Like they, they try to, like on the iPad, they try to sell it where, it, you know, you launch it in, I forget which two modes, but one mode is, is like, it's the, it's, it's got all the features and it it's, looks like the desktop app for the most part, some, some tweaks for the tablet UI, uh, like the full time tablet, tablet only UI, right? Mm-hmm. Where, um, uh, so a few design changes for, for that, but like, um, you know, they try to simplify it and claim it's a, it's a general purpose tool in a way, right? Capture, you know, have more people, more, more subscriptions, what have you. And, but honestly, in its heart, it's a, it's, it's an app really meant for people who make uh, comics and want mm-hmm. to do lettering and things like that. Like Photoshop can do this stuff. Um, Illustrator can do this stuff. And, and it's, each of them has these, um, they, they don't have these speed boosts that that are like very knowing about the jobs that you do especially like all that word balloon stuff it's it's mm-hmm. awesome yeah, and it's it really, really does help so um yeah quick quick final thought before lampshades. what's up quick final thought before we move on to the next section so mm-hmm. like you note i just want to draw people's attention to the fact that okay so here's like how I, the the crack at a sound effect looked in the final version mm-hmm. right and we in this comic was black and white so didn't have a lot of options when, when it comes to color. But I do think about texture, too. So, like, if we look at the original thum, when this mm. giant spider head hits the ground, it's THM, which I've got a whole philosophy on when it comes to, like, the onomatopoeia, which we'll talk about later. Um, I used a block letter here. But then when I've thought about, like, the, the sound of this thing hitting this dirt floor, I thought it should have, like, a grittier noise to it. And so... I used, this is one of the reasons I hand draw these in Clip Studio Paint is because there's all these wonderful brushes you can use, uh, especially if you go to Ray Frendon's website, frendon.com, you can get awesome brushes from him. And this is one of his ink, uh, textured ink brushes. And so I literally just hand drew THM and then I did the same thing where I selected, uh, you know, c- command clicked on the, uh, on the layer, expanded the selection, filled it in white on a layer below to create the white outline, right? And choosing black for the fill instead of white. So instead of being a white sound with a black outline, I thought, well, this is like a big, heavy sound that doesn't reverberate. Bright colors tend to reverberate in my mind. Dark colors tend to not echo, right? So, which is why when we have the characters laughing, it's a brighter sound, right? Versus the sound of a giant metal thing crashing into a dirt floor. So, things I think about when I do this stuff. Um, so. Uh, so one more time for mm-hmm. one more uh, question. Okay. So Shadowing Tronics asks in the chat, uh, how do you install a new brush? How, oh, actually, it's a lot easier than it used to be. So I'll show you how you install a new brush. Um, so you open up your brush palette, and it's it's really simple to make. So when I open up my brushes here, you can see that I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different collections of brushes that I switch between. So like here's my basic uh, Clip Studio paint pen brushes. Here's a bunch of my friend and brushes I bought. And th- this is a collection I bought from him called uh, his dry brush pack, which I use a lot. As a matter of fact, I modified one of the brushes of his to make a wet brush out of a dry brush. And that's this is like my main inking brush that I use now. Um, but to, to install them, all you need to do is you open up, you, once you've downloaded the brushes, I'm going to go to my comics, uh, brushes and textures, and here's, 
not my brushes for layer paint. I want my friend in brushes. So here's the, the actual brushes that I that you download from him, and you just like with your Finder window open, click and drag it over into the folder, and there it is. Now it's there. And if you want to turn this into its own collection, like let's say I'm going to make a grease pencil collection, I just drag that pen up here, and it automatically creates. Okay, here's a new collection starting with that brush, right? So that's really cool. Didn't know about that. It's really simple. It used to be a lot harder to load brushes, but you can, and you can actually um, grab like say 10, 20 brushes at a go and just drag them in like that. And it'll, it'll take a minute, but it'll, uh, it'll get them all in there. So, so yeah. And then you can, you can duplicate brushes and customize them by going to the little wrench icon at the bottom of the tool property menu. You can change like the ink flow. You can change, um, the brush shape, you can, you know, make this brush more of a spray brush or give it like a pattern, um, change the stroke, the texture. You can actually install um, from your, uh, what's it called? This is your materials menu. You can install different textures to the brushes as I'm scrolling through these. You can see. So, yeah, making custom brushes is actually pretty simple. Um, it's just, it, it takes a little bit of finagling and it take, it's a little time consuming. But also if you get, um, not Clip Studio Paint, but Clip Studio, um, which is their sort of like portal website app, you can download a whole bunch of free brushes from there too. And I think they get auto-installed into your instance of Clip Studio Paint. So that's another one to look at too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their their cloud is is interesting. It's um, I wouldn't say it's the most shining, greatest part of the app, but it yeah. um, but it it can you can synchronize and, and get file. That's one way to get files from, for instance, you know your different versions if you have it on Mac or Windows or iPad, what have you. So it's um, yeah, and of course your other settings, right? So if you put a lot of work into the settings, you want your 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 um, uh, you know, more familiar arrangements of, of your palettes and stuff. Yeah, it's, it, it helps for that. Well, I mean, just like creative cloud. And I mean, that's one of the features that, um, Adobe has is synchronizing, you know, a variety of things, fonts, mm-hmm. palettes, workspaces. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's, I, I don't use it a ton, so, but it's, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I was I was thinking that uh, this was an awesome demo jersey, and it'd be neat to um, to dig into your uh, your <laughs> it's, get into your 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 mind. Can we see like the jersey predator vision or the AR view? Right. I mean, <laughs> right. So like the the movie of. Um, you know, the old, old Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Predator, right? The, or the, I'm sure it's been remade and stuff, whatever, but I I don't pay attention to new media. Um, <laughs> it's uh, the idea where it's like you look at this, the tools and you have a different set of I- ideas and expectations. You look at the, how you mapped out your, your, um, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, obviously starts at the thumbnail phase when you're doing all this problem solving. I, Anything we can do to to see into that, I think, would be great. And of course, okay. there is always that awesome workshop for Tam, which yeah. goes into lots. Of which go, it, I, I forget how long the workshop is, but it's 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 multiple it's over four hours. hours. Okay, it's over four hours of me like spend. Yes, I I dig deep on like my 
the, the, the four or five realms of concern that I navigate when I'm designing sound elements and word balloons in my comics. And we'll, we'll, I'll, I'm going to breeze over them quickly. It. Yeah. It, it, the, it's, it's, like the, um, it's like the Lord of the Rings for, um, for sound design, right? And, and <laughs> this is awesome. We, we need to expound, expound upon this metaphor over time where uh-huh. there are the realms of concern and, uh, <laughs> and multiple adventures. So. And it's the epic. Realms, the realms of concern. Yeah, that should be like a mystical place in, in one of our books. <laughs> you must embark upon the realms of concern or cross the realms of concern to get to the, the, the land of consideration. Okay, uh, in a minute and a half, we're going to talk about, you know, what, what four things I think about, five, four or five things I think about and trade off back and forth between when I'm doing my sound designs and word balloon designs. But before we do that, we got to thank some people who make the show possible. Those people happen to be the folks who support us on Patreon. Yes, patreon.com slash lean into art is the website what is it it's a way for you to give us a monthly upvote you say i believe in jersey and rob i believe in the work that they do and i want to help make the show more sustainable by donating as little as a dollar a month and you can cancel it at any time uh so you could just come in and just do like a one-time you know contribution and then avail yourself of all the extra content there and then take off and that would be a a a very kind thank you to us and i want to thank five people who've been Contributing on a monthly basis for some time now. Brandon Dayton. You can find Brandon Dayton on Twitter at Brandon Dayton. Thank you, Brandon. And Jesse Kaufman, longtime friend of the show, been on the show before. You can find Jesse on Twitter at Jesse Kaufman, K A U F F M A N. Also, Becca Hilburn, another longtime supporter. Thank you, Becca, for believing in us and what we do. You can find Becca on Twitter at Natto Soup. Also, Nathan Seabolt. Thank you, Nathan. It means a lot to us. You can find Nathan on Twitter at N underscore Seabolt. And finally, Ben Odgren. Thank you, Ben. You can find Ben on Twitter at Ben Odgren. And you can join them all at patreon.com slash leanintoart where you will find all the shows we make as well as the extra leans, the shows we record only for people who support us on Patreon. Those posts are just... It's an extra show that's special for those people, but then those posts become an open mic thread where you can talk about whatever you want in a safe place with fellow leaners. Once again, patreon.com slash leanintoart. Thank you so much, everybody, for supporting us there. It means a lot to us. It really does. It's awesome. Thank you. All right. Let me get some music. Uh, I have a track here from the Transformer soundtrack called Ancient Wisdom. Apparently, this is the sound of Ancient Wisdom. It sounds like an old synth, right? <laughs> yeah. I guess, it's, I guess that would some be considered those... ancient by today's standards, right? Yeah. It... Um... Yeah, that's that synth has seen some things, and um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, okay, it's funny. I actually I really like old synths. I have a I have an ancient one. I have a what is it a Quai K four R, um, and it's yeah that thing's a tank. It's 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 moved and lived with me for over twenty years. And when I got it, it was a few years old. Got it used wow. at Guitar Center. Anyway, it makes delightful sounds a lot like um, this, the interstitial. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a, like John Carpenter synth has like a very unique sound that like I and and actually you know I remember doing a Saturday Supercast like almost ten years ago about He Man and the Masters of the Universe and we got into a, a discussion about the soundtrack which is mostly synth and I was like you know I know it sounds cheesy by modern ears but it really makes the thing feel more otherworldly to me than if you had done like a big orchestra right so anyway it does I would say one of the 
one of a super awesome place for that. Sorry to just keep adding adding to the tangent. Um, one more tangent, Brick, is um, playing the original Mass Effect video game. Mm. They played into that feel in the soundtrack so well, yeah. and it's that that combination of of um, maybe when that media was becoming popular in mass, and then the sounds that were associated with it, and that they they really tried to convey the future with those the with the synths. Oh yeah, and but like the Wendy this. Carlos Tron soundtrack. I don't know if one last time you sat down and listened to that, but that is fantastic. The original one, no, I yeah. haven't. I've, I've heard the the second one more. Of the, the second one is great but, too, but yeah, yeah. I, I have a lot of fondness for the the original soundtrack. Oh, I gotta check it out again. All right, it's very of its time, but Wendy it's Wendy Carlos. It, yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, okay, so breaking down the four design constraints of sound design. Um, so, okay, so this is the way I break it down in my classrooms, and I think this is, this is by no means, um, well, maybe it's, maybe it's like a recipe. I tend to do it in this order, but I think it happens sort of like almost instantaneously for me now. Like the, 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 I oscillate between the four concerns constantly while I'm in the process of designing the sound. So like sometimes I, th- I think I'll have like the shape nailed, but now nah, I got to go back and touch it a few more times to get that shape nailed. Anyway, the first, the first step as I think of it is the onomatopoeia. So for instance, you, when you had this like giant metallic body falling to the ground, you have that thum sound um, because I tend to think that sounds with vowels reverberate sounds that don't echo, don't have vowels. So for instance, the um, classic punch sound effect in the Indiana Jones movies by Ben Burt, where it's a very specific kind of like over-the-top punch noise. Um, it doesn't echo. It's a very deep and thick and meaty sound. So it'd be T-H-D-S-H, thidish, right? In my, if I were designing the sound, it, that's the onomatopoeia I would choose. Whereas if something is like an oil tanker is exploding, that's gonna, that sound is going to echo for a long way, and it might be like a threk a boom, something like that, but there's going to be a lot of vowels in it. So vowels, in my mind, tend to equal reverberation, sound that carries, sound that echoes. Uh, lack of vowels tends to indicate a sound of like dropping a bowling ball on concrete. It's going to have like a thunk, and it's just gonna, that sound is just going to die right there, right? Um, so that's one of my first steps is like figure out, I, I'll sound it out with my mouth. I'll make the sound in my studio and I will, you know, work it out. Like what, what kind of, how would your mouth make that sound? And that's how I arrive at the spelling. Okay. And then once that's, once that's arrived at, then I go, okay, well, what would be the shape of the letters? What would, what would be the shape of the letter form is to communicate the thickness, thinness, shrillness, tinniness, uh, high pitch, low pitch, what what are the characteristics of that sound and how does shape correspond to that? So if it's a thunk of a bowling ball flying into concrete, maybe I'm going to use like a thick block letter because it's a thick sound, but it's, it's a dead sound. I'm not going to use a wavy line. I'm going to use like very smooth lines, maybe even like just pure like sports block letters, right? Um, but if it's something like electricity, I might use like a jagged line. I might use, and if it's, there's different kinds of electricity. So it's like, like there's like a, a power station electricity, right? Like the mains are on kind of power, uh, high tension wires kind of hum, like the big, like thick hum of a electric, uh, power station versus say, um, I don't know, like a taser, right? Getting zapped with a taser, which could be a thin, more trilly sound. And it might have a thinner letter form with a wavy line on it. Right. 
um, falling into, say, like a stuntman falling into one of those giant air cushions off of a building, right? The poof kind of sound that you'd get from that. Well, maybe I'm going to use like a smoother, softer shape to indicate like the quality of the air and the, the softness of the, the sound itself. It doesn't, it's not piercing, right? It's a, it's, it's, it's an airy sound. Um, so first you've got onomatopoeia, then you've got letter shape and or font, right? Um, then the next one, this is where it gets weird, is what color is that sound? Now, the example I use in my classrooms a lot is like, what's the sound of a lightsaber? Well, it's vroom, vroom, vroom. It's, you know, it's like, you make all those different noises with your mouth, and then you arrive at some spellings. Then we arrive at some letter shapes, like, well, if I use this big puffy line to indicate that, sh- that sound, oh, that doesn't feel right. Well, what if I use a more electrical-looking sound? Ah, that looks right. Now, what color is that sound? Well, if it's a red lightsaber, it'd be a red sound. If it's a blue lightsaber, it'd be a blue sound. Well, maybe. Maybe that would more visually integrate with the piece. But let's back up and look at this even more abstractly. If you have somebody's boot heel crushing a soda can... Right? And we can picture that sound in our head. We can hear that, right? So we come up with the, the crunkle, crinkle, the crunkle, crunkle, crunkle sound design of the onomatopoeia. And then we come up with maybe the letter forms that look like that, that quality of sound. But what's the color of the sound of a can being crushed, right? Now, I have some shorthand that I use for this for myself is that I tend to think brighter colors are higher frequency Darker colors are lower frequency. Uh, more so, like warmer colors tend to go towards more higher frequency. Cooler colors tend to go through lower frequency. So, like for instance, what do I mean? If I say um, the oil tanker is exploding, generally speaking, if I, and I've done this in a lot of different classrooms, generally speaking, we're to say, oh, it's going to be like a red or an orange. And I'll say, well, well, okay, but maybe because we're thinking of the fire. But like, what if I say like clapping hands? If I, we all start clapping, what color is that sound? Well, that's a yellow sound, invariably, right? There's going to be differences because this is not, at least my approach to this is not academic and scientific, right? But I'm just doing anecdotal evidence by, by practicing with students for the last 11 years. Um, and so, yes, higher frequency, more, more um, piercing noises tend to be brighter colors, and or warmer colors. But if I were to say that bowling ball on the concrete, well, that's going to be like a gray or a dark blue, right? That's, again, that's a rule of thumb that I just use for my own designs, right? Um, and then the final the final tool, so those are like, you know, those are three things to think about. Fourth thing is, I think, is uh, compositional integra- integration. How do I integrate the sound into the drawing, right? So this probably happens earlier on than the other concerns in that, I do this at the thumbnail level. Where's the sound effect going to happen? Um, how do I place the sound effect so that it directs the reader's eye in the way that I hope that it will go? How can I make it look like that the sound is actually there in that space without interfering with the art? So in the example of the girl punching the spider's head off, okay, it's a big sound because it's a big dramatic moment in the story. And also it's like her, this girl like doing this really awesome physical thing to deal with a threat. Um, so it should have like a, a lot of oomph and it should take up a lot of space, but I don't want to cover up the cool action. Let's have it happen in the background so that we know that the sound is there, but we don't have to like necessarily, it's, it's there and it's not there at the same time. And it's not interfering with the flow of visual information, but it's making its presence very well known, right? That's the kind of back and forth that I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about visual integration into the piece as well. So if I go back to, just real quick, that Instagram post, 
like one of the things I'm thinking about when I take away all of the actual artwork on the page and just look at the flow of the sounds, right? Look at the directions that they're going, right? So there's like a visual flow to that too. So, whoops, I'm trying to scroll. And like you can see like the different letter forms and shapes that I'm using. So like this hiss sound, I want it to be an airy sound, but I still wanted it to be kind of a creepy sound. So I used like a wavy line and it, it, you can't see it in this photo, but I actually put kind of like a, a, a rough edge on the left side of all the letters. So like that it's like, it's, it has, I wanted to put like a visual sizzle on it. Um, and then this this shree here, I wanted it to be, you know, like ear piercing. I wanted it to be like, you know, like when you're at like a concert or something and the sound gets to that level where you hear like almost like a crackle in your eardrums. I wanted to have that kind of quality to it. So again, the rough edges on it. Um, the clong is a metal on metal sound. So I chose like nice, big, bold, uh, squarish letters with smooth shapes. So... Wow. I threw so, a lot at you. I'm sorry. You no, you did. You did, but I've, you know, we've uh I've been around your your thoughts on this for a number of years and it occurs to me, a few things a few new things occur to me hearing you share this. First of all, it's like this is um you did a bunch of spell casting cuz basically there's like five words in the show notes and you're like boom, <laughs> here's a bunch of thoughts. It's awesome. And it's it's quite a system, and it it really reminds it. I think that maybe another angle on a class or something. I don't know. Food for thought, unrequested from from you. But but one of my reactions is that, in a way, you have your own. Um, you think of it as like a style guide, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is how you express sound, and you know there are different house styles, and I think you have such a well-arranged, systematized approach to um, visualizing uh, sound. It's a a system that you could prompt others to come up with their own house styles. Oh, wow. That would be a neat class. What is your house style? Like, what's your your philosophy and what are your... uh, Because, like, again, going back to that lightsaber example... I could see the argument, and I think it's a valid argument to say, like, no, you, you would use blue because that visually integrates better with the page. And I'm not thinking so much about how color represents sound quality as much as color represents aesthetics in this page. Or you might even say that well, about the, and the letter. There's forms. a bunch of things. You have flow. You've got priority over space and time. You've got the relationships among the sound and the other elements. And then and, and that is interweaving with your uh, idea of the core onomatopoeia, onomatopoeia uh, letter shape, color, and composition, and the the vocabulary. You have a bunch of vocabulary prompts where I think other people would answer that differently because the emotions they feel about the sounds they hear mm-hmm. are going to have a different um, relationship, right? Yeah. Like yeah. everything goes through a guitar pedal in my brain. Everything. Interesting. And yeah, and uh, that is this touchstone for me, but then relating that to your sort of walkthrough of a zoo of sound possibilities. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fascinating. And I think it's very useful. Just your house style. It's awesome. It's like using a framework 
where you say, well, like, I want to make a website or, you know, I'm going to use this, this approach. And boy, did they think of a lot of things. Phew, I don't have to think of those things. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I just can make sure that maybe I'm using it well, right? So I yeah. need to think about them enough to use this codified approach well, but I don't have to think as deep about it. I'm a user of an approach and a framework, not necessarily a creator of it who is then uh, playing jazz with it and expanding and testing and all the stuff all the time, improvising. Going back uh, to your guitar pedal example, like I, I guess if you were in my class, the thing I would say to you after getting that prompt from you is I would say, okay, well, what would the letter forms be for, say, Iron Maiden bass versus Faith No More bass? Right? It's like, oh, sure. Is it, I bet you could picture that in your head, like the, the, the very, very fine yeah, differences it's like, between boom, those. Blip, boom, boom, blip for Faith No More and Iron Maiden is like. Right. But like what shapes would those sounds take, right? Versus yeah. like, because um, like, also Faith No More tends to be a little bit more crunchy than Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden is like, it's like rippling water in the background mm-hmm. versus say like something that's like kind of like hitting a hammer on a thing almost. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I, and I think like you're, like you're showing right now, like that, it, it would be interesting for you to facilitate that uh, out of others, others' experiences who want to visually express sound, but maybe they hear it a little bit different. And I think a lot of folks would just love to just, you know, again, you know, pick up your current FATAM course or, or you know, in, in related things you've shared that um, where essentially you're building off of the, your framework where you've, you've interpreted very intentionally so many areas, areas of concern of, of a, the information in sound and the feeling of sound to then visualize it. Um, so yeah. what I love about that idea is, is that it's, it would be explicitly designed to help people develop their own toolkit rather than here's like an out of the box set of things. Here's your Wix.com site for doing sound design. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. instead saying like, Oh, here's how you build your own Wix.com site or your own toolkit so that you have, you know, a thoughtful set of parameters for you to develop. Like, I, I like the, the term house style, but I, but like, how do you expand on that to make it even more clear so that it's like, this is meant to get you to think hard about this so that by the end you have yourself a, your own it's a sound, sound design visualization co- framework. Yeah. And it's a, it's a sound visualization framework, which is a system of expressing sound visually. So yeah, that's a neat that, idea. And so that what that does, it lets you, express it consistently. And so even though it's got, it'll have its own flavor and feel um, different than others house styles, but that is potentially welcome because it's more, it's, it's like another angle of someone else's creative voice. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a, a great final line on this section is that this is an angle of your creative voice. And I think that like anything, it should be thoughtfully employed. The example I use in my classroom is like I get a little sad when I'm reading a comic and somebody takes just like a block font, writes out blam, writes out kabloom or whatever, and just turns it a little bit at an angle, makes it red, and goes like, I'm done. I did my job. And I'm like, well, yeah, you, I guess you did. You know, but it's like, it's like, it's like saying like I cleaned the table and you just like ran a rag over it once. You know, you didn't, did you really clean it? <laughs> is it disinfected? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, I, I've left many a dirty comic table, and uh, oh. I know I want to do better. 
Same here, man. Same here. Um, but, you know, like one of the first conversations I had with Dan Michigan was how bad my word balloon uh, placement was. And when he pointed out, I was heartbroken, but I was also like, like sort of like elevated. Right. I'm like, oh, now I can, now I know how to make it even better. Um, <laughs> you give me some good food for thought. And I guess I will put it to the leaners. I would love to hear from people who are actually interested in that idea. Um, and I guess maybe you could vote even by downloading the FATAM workshop, which we'll talk about in a minute um, when we get to our final ad break. Is there anything that, that like seems like a final thought in what we've been talking about today? I am really curious. This doesn't have to be final thought, but like what in the world got you down this rabbit hole of, of sound? And, uh, and I mean, you really... You went on your, this is the Lord of the Rings of <laughs> Jersey sound visualization. And I, I don't know, like, how did that, how did that start? And then how did you dig deeper? Mm. Is that a? Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can point at some things that I, I thought were inspirational sources for sure. Um, okay. We'll do that in, in about a minute and a half, two minutes. But before we do that, we got to take one more break. Thanks some people who made this show possible, and those people happen to be us. We make stuff, we work hard on the stuff, we think hard about this stuff, and then we bring these thoughts to the Lean Into Artcast. And the thing that I thought really hard about that I hope you will check out today, if you have not already, is Science Comics Rockets, Defying Gravity from First Second Books in stores everywhere. Uh, and what is it? Is the history and science of rockets is told by the animals who participated in rocket history. So you learn about like where rockets came from, uh, how they work, and you learn all these interesting stories of how animals were involved along the way. Like true stories of animals in rocket history, like bears being used in ejector seat technology, rats being affixed with parachutes in order to advertise a fireworks manufacturer in the 1800s, um, tortoises uh, flying to the moon and making it safely back to Earth, um, and more things like that, but also learning the, the basic fundamental physics of rockets. So it's 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 a... It's an interesting story whether or not you're, you are a space enthusiast. And, but if you do like space travel and if you do like animals, this is the perfect book for you. It's also, in my opinion, the funniest thing with my name on it. It's, it's a truly funny book. Um, and you can find out more about it at sciencecomicsrockets.com. Also, it's in the bio of virtually every social media account that I have right now. So you can also find it there. Rob, what do you want to talk about this week? Well... I, I think it'd be great to share uh, another podcast I do mm. called Art and Science Punks, and uh, yeah, this is a this is a show that I that I it, it's it's something that I, I I've been wanting to do and have been doing this collaboration with my wife uh, Kate Shield Stenzinger, and and it's just this fun exploration of how we like to try to just just try stuff related to creative projects and related to learning and, and science. And we, you know, both Kate and I are, are excited about that for our own individual exploration, but then, well, we have kids and that they, they're, they're a big catalyst where we want to be, you know, just living and learning and, and sharing stuff together with them. And we try a lot of things and the, that's this, in a way, this is a documentation of our story of we like we try a lot of stuff and we, and we think about the, the science angle of it too. And we'll, we were into the, and it's, you know, why are we punks? Well, it's, it's like this, it's an open invitation of do it yourself, right? Let's, um, let's try stuff and, uh, have fun laughing about when it uh, goes right or wrong. So that's at, uh, 
artsciencepunks.fireside.fm. And if you have if you have downloaded it and listened to it, and if you enjoyed it, I highly recommend that you give it a review wherever you listen to it. That helps more people find it. Um, if you are here because you like the way we think about stuff and you're not so much interested in the other stuff that we make, fair enough. The show is a thing that we make, and you can find more things like it at leanintoart.com slash workshops. This is where you could find the FATAM lettering workshop, which is mostly geared towards using Adobe Illustrator. But the principles and the techniques in there can be applied to just about any graphic editing program. And uh, Troy, Shadowing Tronics in the chat, even says, he says, even using fonts, you can do things to make them look good, like editing an image. Sound effects are like logos. It's drawing with letters, not just writing letters. And that is, I agree with that 100%. That is exactly the kind of thing we talk about in the FATAM workshop. You can download it at a price of your choosing, even free. You can get it for free. All the workshops there you can get for free. But if you get some value out of it, a really neat thing you could do is then purchase it for a friend. And, and then you're, help, you're getting a gift for a friend. And you're giving us a tip for making this thing that you found to be useful. And we thank everybody who's been doing those things. If you have uh, a free thing you could do is uh, if you're watching the video on YouTube right now, give it a thumbs up. That helps more people find the show. And if you are listening to the show in a podcast uh, app, or on one of those platforms like uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star review helps more people find the show too. And thanks to everybody who has been doing that. It means a lot to us. Yeah, it really does. It's always great to hear. Um, let's, uh, let's see. What, what, what do you think, Jersey, about... Um, what, what sent me down know, this what, road? This, yeah, what sent you, sent you down this road? And then there must have been this... Uh, you know, like you looking into the depths of it and you were like, yeah, whatever, I'm going. You jumped in. Um, well, so I went back. So I recently moved as you know, we've chronicled on the show. And in that move, I had to go through a lot of stuff. And I went through a lot of old artwork, like dating back to as far as 1998. So quite, quite old artwork. And uh, when I was first starting out and even on those pages, which when I was doing all the lettering on the boards, I was really working at, integrating the sound elements i wasn't doing a really awesome job of it but you could tell that i was think at least beginning to think about it and so I, that got me wondering you know like okay because i know i can name some instances of influences that came along after that but like what was influencing me then and i have to say it was probably the work of john workman now john workman is a letterer who most often works with walt simonson um and Walt Simonson being one of my favorite artists of all time, one of, one of the true genius storytellers of comics, of action-adventure comics at any rate. Um, big, powerful stuff. I don't know if you've ever read his Thor comics, Rob, but I think you in particular, of all my friends, would really appreciate his approach to Thor because it's all about like just how awesome the human form looks when it's being like, when it's expressing itself through like, like you know, doing big things like just powerful motion. And when, when Mjolnir the hammer smashes something in a, in a Simonson comic, it's, it's, it's almost like it's beyond reality. It's like, it's like the stuff of dream. Like when you watch Thor Ragnarok, it's like, it's pretty cool, but honest and for true, as much as good as that movie is, it ain't no Simonson comic. Simonson comics are better than the movies. Um, and John Workman 
really contributes a lot to Simonson's pages. He thinks really hard about the onomatopoeia. He thinks about the sound integration. He was one of the first people I ever saw who does this neat trick where if a balloon is straddling two panels, he'll knock out the lines on the balloon where it's touching the gutter. Um, it's just, just, it's that little tiny touch that just makes it feel that much more integrated into the page. Um, and so I think when I was 18, 19, 20, I was aping what Workman was doing without knowing what I was really aping. Cause that's how you start, right? You start by imitating things that you're responding to. Um, and then of course, Scott McCloud's understanding comics comes along when I'm like 20, 21. And he starts talking about how lines work and how like jagged lines make us feel, make us feel one way. And like smooth lines make us feel another way. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. And I started thinking about that in terms of like how I design my word balloons, how I design my sound design. And as a matter of fact, you can see like in, in like 1996 in my, my mini comics I was doing at the time, all my word balloons had jagged lines on them because I wanted it to have like this rough gritty feel to it for some reason. <laughs> oh, that's um, great. And then I think it finally coalesced into like a deep dive. I, I want to say, when, when did the Star Wars special edition DVDs come out? Whatever year those came out, I want to say like 2004, 2005, somewhere in the neighborhood. Um, and I listened to the audio commentary with Ben Burt, the sound designer on Star Wars. And when I heard that guy th- talking about how hard he thinks about sound quality and tone and timber and pitch and how to and how they mean different things to an audience and how in certain instances a larger than life sound is what's necessary in other instances a very like mellow and more inobtrusive sound is necessary in order to create the the texture and feeling of the scene and uh it was just so fascinating to listen to him and how he thought about it. i was like okay i i clearly need to think more about my sound design in my comics i want everything in my comics to be as thoughtful as that now they're not <laughs> because <laughs> you can only give so many mental cycles to the work without driving yourself bonkers. But I decided to pick my battles and there's certain things that I get very worked up about and sound design happens to be one of them. Um, I haven't sat down and done, done a list of like things in comics that I get insufferable about, but that would be like a, a high one on the list. Um, so yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's where the, the, that's my journey into in relationship with, that the subject in a nutshell in a sort of a very very cliff's notes version but i would say anybody who is um is interested in this topic after hearing this episode i would say john workman is a good first place to start he i mean it's all big powerful stuff it's very superhero stuff but it's very thoughtfully done and I, I and I kid you not, his balloon tails just send me. Like I, I wish I could figure. I haven't cracked that code yet. Of like how he decides on the way he does his balloon tails. He does really, really cool balloon tails. Um, yeah, mm, I'll have to check it out. Uh, that's that's fascinating. I have to say that. I mean, honestly, the work, your work does consistently show how much you think about this and uh and it's it's really neat to see various expressions of your system of thinking about sound and in you know through your own work so obviously read jersey's comics (laughs) well science comics rockets has an awful lot of sound design in it because it's about rockets right and there's 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 one panel in the comic where like i I know I got out of line. I was really out of line with with everybody. <laughs> I got out of line? What do you mean? 
because I got mad. I, I mean, I raised my voice. I got so mad. And it was about um, characters fainting. And somebody suggested that we use the word plop, which is a perfectly serviceable sound effect. But I was like, there's no way we're using plop. We're not doing plop. And I was like, it's, it's clearly fwomp. It has to be fwomp because fwomp has a little bit of the trombone, the sad trombone in it. It has the, the uh. airy sound of falling fwomp, right? Uh, and so you get like that, that comedic pun, the, the, the sound pun, but then you also have something that actually represents the sound, you know? And it's not going to be text. I'm going to hand draw it because that's the way you do this right, you know? And, and, and when I was getting worked up about it, she looked across the table and she's like, is this that important? You know? <laughs> and, and it was one of those moments where I was, I was getting a little bit righteous and a little bit pleased with myself. Cause like, I think about this so much, you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm being out of line on this. So, uh, but yes, there's a lot of very, there's a lot of sound design in rockets that, that I, I really agonized over and really fussed about. And there's ones that I joyfully did, you know, it's like, Oh, this is a flabba boom kind of thing. Cause that's just what it is. But anyway, yes, that'd be a good example. Go to your library and check out science comics rockets. Uh, I think it's also available on, um, some digital lending platforms like overdrive and whatnot. So you oh, can read super cool. Try before you buy that. Ad- that adds up to the circ numbers. So the library will buy more copies. So more kids can find rockets. So actually, you're not um, checking it out from your library. Actually, is a direct service to me as an author. Hmm, that's really cool. That's a that's some good context to know. Hmm, hmm. I uh, wow, what a I. <laughs> it's really cool that that once in a while we say, all right, we're gonna we're gonna let this thing out of its cage. It's time to talk about sound and lettering in comics. <laughs> <laughs> So, I wonder. I wonder how much. Thank you. I wonder if I do this more in the future because now that I'm not teaching as much anymore, it's like I don't have an outlet for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think you have. There's there there is more to share because I'm pretty sure you can help other people come up with their own systems. Okay. Well, thank you, Rob. I think this was a podcast, um, and uh, we record the show every Thursday at uh, nine p.m. Eastern, no, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central. We stream it live on YouTube and then we collect that as a podcast at leanintoart.com and patreon.com slash leanintoart. Thanks everybody for downloading, watching, and listening. Until next time, I have been Jersey Drozd of leanintoart.com and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I've been Rob Stenzinger of leanintoart.com and I am also on Instagram as Rob Stenzinger. Okay, bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at leanintoart.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the user leanintoart, and you can reach us via email at leanintoart at gmail.com. And remember, leaners aren't wieners. Thanks for listening.